This is a Federal News Network podcast. 21 years after the passage of the Klinger Cohen Act, agencies and auditors are still debating whether chief information officers should report to the agency secretaries or deputy secretaries. Now, even though presidents have issued executive orders and OMB has issued policies, that question of the reporting structure Well, it's got to come back to outcomes and not process. In his weekly reporter's notebook, executive editor Jason Miller covers why this debate has reemerged and how the government can finally put it to rest. Jason, you and I were both around when the Klinger-Cohen bill became the law. And so, golly, why is this debate happening now? You'd think after all these years, Tom, we would have come to a conclusion that, yes, it is in the Klinger-Cohen Act. And, in fact, it is. And I have to go to Mark Foreman, the former administrator for e-government IT in the Office of Management and Budget, and who helped write the Klinger-Cohen Act, to say, okay, where is it in the bill? And it's right there in the Paperwork Reduction Act. Tom, that's uh, 44 U.S.C. 3506A2A. Anyways, if you're keeping score at home, that's where you can find it. We'll have a link to it on federalnewsnetwork.com. But it's right there in black and white, yet here we are 21 years later, and we are still debating whether or not the CIO should report or could report or must report to the secretary or deputy secretary. And the reason why this has come up again yet and still is a really interesting Labor Department Inspector General report that just came out over the last couple of weeks that that the IG found the labor's IT governance structure, and this is a quote, does not appropriate line authority and responsibility. They call it ambiguous, ad hoc, and reliant on personnel to fulfill their duties without codified policies or procedures. I mean, that sounds like a pretty damning report from the IG when it comes to how the Labor Department is set up. And the Labor Department's response? That made this even more fascinating because, Tom, and you and I have been doing this long enough to know that you rarely see a pushback against an IG report. I think a lot of people see it as you just take your beating and you move on because, you, you know, it's just part of the deal. But Nikki McKinney, who's the assistant deputy secretary of labor, wrote back and said there are several flaws with the IG's report, several flaws of the way they did their research, specifically that focus on process and not outcomes. She also wrote that there's a lack of understanding about labor's leadership functions where one-on-one meetings don't necessarily always result in major changes. She actually compared the, the IG's findings to saying the CIO must be the quarterback and the receiver where they throw the ball and they catch it. Instead of understanding that the CIO is, has to be empowered by the, the leadership to implement its their, their, their that person's vision. So this back and forth is unusual and fascinating that you don't really see it too very often when it comes to IG reports. And you, Jason, then did some digging to find out that perhaps labor is maybe a little bit different than the other agencies for the CIO and who it reports to. Tom, that's why I thought this was so fascinating about this report, because Yes, the law says it. We've been talking about it. You go back to GAO reports to 2004, the FATARA, the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act. uh, That scorecard gives you a plus one or minus one if you don't report directly to the secretary or deputy secretary. So we've been talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And then all of a sudden, here's an example. So I spoke with several former and current government officials who are familiar with the Labor Department. They understand how it works, how it's set up. Uh, you know, these folks are, are, are not, you know, kind of just run of the mill folks. And, and a couple of things that came out. Number one, they admitted that this has been a sticking point between the IG and the Labor Department leadership for decades, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican in the White House appointed by those officials. They, they, they don't seem to see eye to eye. But secondly, and this is really what's most important, is the current approach is working. So they're 
opinion is if the current model is, is, isn't broken, what are we trying to fix? And I think you see that the current CIO, Gundeep Alawalia, is doing an excellent job. And, and Nikki McKinney, who is the, again, goes responds to the IG report, points out all the changes that Gundeep and, and Labor more, more broadly has been making over the last three, four, five years to really fix the, the, the IT governance, to fix IT delivery, which is really what the CIO is, is supposed to be focused on doing. So essentially they have gone the results route more than the process route. Right. There's this belief, and I think this is what current and former officials have told me, that they are meeting the spirit and the intent of Klinger Cohen. They just don't have that solid line. And I've been told that that the CIO can talk to the secretary whenever they want. It's not a matter of having to make an appointment and get permission from the assistant secretary for for administration and management, who the CIO does have a, a direct line to. But at the same time, Tom, the CIO doesn't need to bring everything to the secretary's level either. I mean, there's a lot of everyday what they call blocking and tackling that the CIO just doesn't need help from the secretary to do or the deputy secretary. They need help from the person who oversees the CFO, the acquisition side, the chief human capital uh, side of it. And I think that's why they believe labor's current setup is working because of that relationship. Yes, there is access when you need it, but you don't need it for everything. All right. And of course, technology is changing and the CIO in reality has changed a lot from being the computer guy to being much more of a strategic person in these last 20 years. It's probably time to relook at what makes CIO successful in the first place. And I think that's what I heard from people like Mark Foreman. I also reached out to Suzette Kent, the former federal chief information officer under the Trump administration, and both said very similar things. Suzette talked about, yes, it's important to have that direct line of authority. But when it comes down to it today, successful CIOs who are outcome focused, right, getting the, the services to the citizens, getting the capabilities needed to the mission areas, it's really all about this idea of who the CIO is working with. Are they working with the CFO, or are they working with other leadership in the agency? Because that's what gets things done. The CIO on their own island, even if they report to the secretary, can't necessarily say, make it so mission critical, you know, X. And they could just ignore the CIO, even if the secretary tells them to do something. And in fact, Mark Foreman says to me, the, the whole goal of Klinger Cohen was really to hold the agency secretary or the agency head accountable to support the CIO. And what he says has kind of gotten muddled through all of this is Congress never calls the agency head and asks them, why aren't they supporting the CIO? They call the CIO and say, why don't you have the authority? When in, and when in, in reality, Tom, it goes back to the CIO giving the CIO, the, it goes back to the secretary giving the CIO the authority. And it doesn't just have to be on a direct line of report. It's, it's the policies and the procedures and the requirements to say the CIO is in charge this way. And I think that that's what has been missing. And I think maybe we go back and that's why we need to say, okay, 21 years ago, this was the case. What is it today? And what does the CIO role look like today sure. versus what it looked like 20 years ago? And if you're a new CIO, call Jason Miller maybe and get some advice because he's talked to them all. Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Tom. Be sure to check out his notebook now online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, 
and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's chief of legislative affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. 
you don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me, and I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <laughs> Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, 
always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever, so you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts.